The older we get, the further we get from the truth, and the more we search for answers. If only we could ask the real experts, life would go a whole lot smoother. This is Little Kids Big Questions, featuring your host, Ingrid Michelson, and the Austin Hartley Leonard Quintet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So it goes like this. One day you decide to believe in something. Then you find a bunch of other people who believe in the same thing. You start spending a lot of time together, hanging out, and bang, you got yourself a religion. Everything is cool and simple and making sense, but then all of a sudden you're eating big meals on certain days, or you're not eating for weeks at a time, you're giving presents and taking over governments and going to war, and all because of this big little thing called religion. Let's see what the experts have to say. Please welcome to the stage our guests for tonight, Leilani, Chad, and Michael. How are you? Good. 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 Do you guys know what the topic of tonight's show is? No. Religion. <laughs> Do you all know what religion is? I think I need to be in fourth grade to hear that. <laughs> You've heard of it? Well, I heard some people said that God created the world. Okay. There we go. That's oh, kind of religion. Oh, she just reminded of me of something. Okay. Like, like, but God didn't create the world. It's like a little star. Like, like there were stuff coming inside it, and then it like exploded. created the Big Bang. Itself. It exploded, and then it created the world. So, in your mind, if God is around us, what does God look like? Yes. He has a little like golden ring around your head. Okay, I like that. I'll accept that. What do you think, Chad? Um, I usually get all the stuff from the Bible, so. He wears white, he has a golden ring around his head, and uh, Her it kind of. or his. It might be a girl, or it might be a boy. Pretty sure it's a boy. What do you think God looks like? I think he has a beard. He has a beard? <laughs> like a long beard. What color? White. A white beard? Yeah. Then it would be old. <laughs> if they say that God created Earth, or God created the star, or God created man, who created God? Oh, yes. God created Himself. Well, that is a conundrum. So, what kind of personality does God have? A really, 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 really nice one. A nice one. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, creating the world one. That, that's that, so he just has a kind of creating the world kind of personality. Yeah. I get that, yeah. Okay. What do you think? What kind of personality? I think he's probably exhausted. He's probably <laughs> exhausted. God's exhausted. He's got a lot to do. Man, these kids, I mean, we all know kids have a lot of questions and also a lot of answers, right? I know mine do. I've got two boys at home, a five-year-old named Eli, and then a, a newly minted three-year-old, Malachi, just turned three last week. They ask a lot of questions, especially Eli, the oldest. We're actually going to hopefully help answer one of his questions later on here this morning. One of my thoughts, though, to us is, are we ever in danger of stopping asking these important questions about God? 
We kind of grow up and maybe we found a few answers we like and we just kind of, oh, problem solved. Or, or we don't find any answers we like and it makes us uncomfortable, so we quit asking those questions and we kind of just get settled. And I think maybe we can get a dose of curiosity from these kids and continue to ask, well, what can we know about God? And I'll warn you, we're going to do a bit of theology this morning. We are going to think about God, answering the question, who is God, really? Who is God, really? And we're going to answer some very basic questions. And so you may be sitting there as a mature, lifelong believer saying, what am I going to learn today? What can you tell me in the next half an hour that I don't already know? I say, fair enough. But we're going to look at Scripture to see some characteristics of God. And at the very least, my hope is that you will learn something or be reminded of something in a way that it makes it it easier for you to share those um, big questions about God or some of those answers or some of those characteristics of God with those who might not believe or those who are younger in the faith. That is something that you can get from a message like this. Or maybe you are one of those newer believers and there are some very specific questions you have and maybe they're very basic and you don't really want to bring them up. You don't want to seem like, like you don't have those answers already. Hopefully, you will learn some things here this morning. Or perhaps you are sitting in the congregation and you don't believe in God at all. I don't know if he exists or if he does exist. How can we know who God is? That's a preposterous thing to claim. Well, my invitation to you would be to listen with an open heart and open mind and see if you learn something about God or maybe answer some of those questions, even if they come from a skeptical point of view. We believe it's, it's a very worthwhile thing to do. And as we're going to take that time to look at, at focusing on a few important characteristics of God and any good theological sermon has to start with a few disclaimers. First of all, we don't have very much time, so I'm only going to um, interact with a few ideas about who God is. It's not even going to be remotely exhaustive. There are some very foundational, important uh, aspects of God that I'm not even going to refer to this morning. So please don't get mad at me. Uh, We're just choosing to be specific in our focus. Second of all, even on those things that we do talk about, we're not even going to get close to plumbing the depth of what that characteristic of God is. You see, because God is at the root of his being so much more than we can comprehend. There will always be an element of mystery and otherness to God. We are not trying to put him in a box. He is going to be bigger than we can comprehend. The ancient theologian Origins put it this way. He said, God is greater than the sum of all perfection. So what he is acknowledging is that we, if we think of all the greatest, biggest, awesome, most perfect things in the world, and we give that highest ideal, then God is beyond that, better than that. Truly, the depth of God is beyond our comprehension. Yet... We also worship a God who desires to be known. And because he desires to be known and because he desires relationship with us, his created people, then God has done the the, the hard work of revealing some of his character and his nature to us. Most specifically through sending his son Jesus and through the word of God that we have access to. So yes, God is much, much more than we can comprehend. Yet, He has revealed some things to us, and we will look at some of that revelation this morning. And the main reason we do this is not just to have a greater understanding or or increase our head knowledge, but the reason God has revealed himself to us and the reason we desire to get to know him better is so that it can deepen our relationship with him. We know this in all of our other relationships. The more we know someone, the more it can deepen our love and appreciation for them. 
I've been married to my wife, Karen, for 10 years now. It'll be 11 in May. Is that right? Did I get that right? I got it right. And, uh, and you know what? I know her so much better than I did when we first got married. And the more that I know her, uh, and the more that my depth of my love for her is increased. So that is the goal. Not to just increase our head knowledge, but to allow our understanding of God to strengthen and deepen our relationship with Him. You guys ready for some theology? Ready? Okay, let's do it. Now, let's start with prayer. We're going to need it. God, we thank you so much again for who you are. And I pray that you would send your spirit in this place and in our hearts so that we would understand you better, not just because of, of our own strength, but because you desire to be known. And God, I do pray that as we interact with these ideas, not only would they be clear to us, but they would also permeate from our heads into our hearts and so that we would love you more and have a greater and stronger relationship with you. We thank you for this and pray it in your name. Amen. So I've highlighted or chosen to highlight four different aspects of God based on some questions that have come my way. It's not just really one question, it's a few different questions. And one thing that was mentioned in the box is where did God come from? Where did he come from? And the answer to that is both very simple and incredibly complex. The answer is nowhere. Because we understand, as God words explain it, that God is eternal. He is eternal. We see a good picture of this from our key passage in Revelation, chapter 4, verse 8. And in this verse in Revelation, we have a picture, a vision of God's very throne room. And there are creatures who are singing God's praises without ceasing. And what they sing is incredibly important because it gives us a lesson about God. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So God is holy. He is set apart. He is greater than all perfection. He is almighty. He is powerful. There is nothing he can't do when he sets his mind to it. Yet at the end of that phrase, we also have this acknowledgement that God is eternal. He was and he is and he is to come. That means that there has never been a time where God was not he has always existed, he continues to exist, and will exist all the way into the eternal future. Now that is incredibly hard for us to understand because we are the created, not the creator. So when God created this universe, he himself is outside of that created universe. Part of his creation is time. And we all experience time the way that we were meant to in God's creation. We have a beginning, and then we have time, and then we have an end. That's how we understand being. That's how we understand and comprehend life. Yet because God exists outside of his creation, he does not experience time the way that we do. He is not bound to the restriction of time the same way that we are. And again, this is really difficult to wrap our heads around. If you're like me, you find it maybe a bit easier to think of eternal life as, as life that is going and just continues to go. We can kind of think of like a, of a track or something that just kind of goes and goes and goes and doesn't stop moving forward. Yet, my mind kind of gets blown when I, when I turn that around and say God has always existed and I think of that same type of eternal nature of going, 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 going with no beginning and that blows my mind. And maybe it blows yours too because we have no frame of reference for what it means to not have a beginning. Yet we know it needs to be true because this universe had a beginning and, and, and it needed a cause. There needs to be something or someone outside of the universe that has always existed that could bring this very universe into being. 
So we kind of trust that God is eternal, but we can't fully comprehend him. How does this matter to you and me? How can this strengthen or affect our relationship with God? Well, for me, I think I find great comfort in knowing that God is eternal and doesn't experience time the same way that I do. So, for example, uh, my family and I, we enjoy watching parades. We're lucky enough on quarry days to live on 5th Street West, and so we have the parade come right past our house. So we're going to just stumble out of, you know, out of bed, you know, five minutes to, and, you know, uh, put on pants and set down some lawn chairs right there, and then away we go. There's, a, there's a, a parade right in front of our eyes. We're very fortunate, but our kids, they usually get pretty anxious. The boys want to see what's coming, and so they're craning their eyes, but they, they can't see because we're so close to the parade. All we can see is that vehicle or that float or that entry that's right directly in front of us. Eli had a tendency when he was younger to create his own parades out of Hot Wheel cars. This is a Hot Wheel car. You do not want to step on these bad boys. Uh, they're almost as bad as Lego, but not quite. Dangers of parenting. And so he would take all these Hot Wheel cars and he would create a curved line and he would create his own parade. Now, one of the things that he loved about that is he could see the entire thing from beginning to end. He could see every car at once. He could see the path that they would take and where everything was going. And in many ways, if we talk about God being eternal and not experiencing time the way we do, I just get this idea that we are experiencing a parade and all we can see is what's right in front of us. And we don't know what's happening on either end. We don't know what the future may hold, yet God has a different perspective because he's not bound to this creation. He can see above and beyond and he knows. So does God know the future? That's not really the right question. The question is, does God know because the past and the present and the future are all revealed to him? He knows all and he is capable of speaking into our lives. In a recent time of grief, I found this nature and this aspect of God to be very, very comforting. Karen and I experienced a loss suddenly and unexpectedly, dealing with kind of a, a grief that we were, had never been exposed to before. And I needed something to cling on to. And God's eternal nature gave me safety. It anchored my soul, knowing that he was not surprised, not only by the past, not only in the grief of the moment, but he also holds the future in his hands. And he gives us the gift of life eternally. This should mean something deeply comforting to us as God's people, that he is eternal. So we continue on, we realize that God is also not only eternal in the past, the present, and the future, but God is spirit. We can kind of uh, eavesdrop on a conversation in John 4.24 between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and they're having this conversation, and it goes a lot of different places, but at the end of their time together, they're having a discussion on where the right place to worship is. And in the middle of that context, again, we learn something about God. John 4.24, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So what is Jesus saying? Well, the, the, the discussion or the debate was which physical location is the right location to worship God. And Jesus answers by saying that's not the right way to look at it. It doesn't matter where physically you worship God because God is not physical. Instead, God is spirit. He exists differently than we do. And while we cannot see him or necessarily hold his hand, we also know that God is in all places at all times. God is spirit. This is part of his holiness, his set-apartness, that he is much more than we are in our experience. 
He is not physical. He is spirit. There are other passages in Scripture that that kind of praise God by saying, you are the immortal, invisible God. He is eternal. He is spirit. And it takes faith. It takes faith to worship that invisible spirit God. But one thing I want to be abundantly clear is that God being spirit does not make God any less real. Just because we can't reach out and touch God should not in our hearts and our minds and our souls put his reality into doubt. God is spirit, but he is real. I had a good example of this from my sister a few years ago. She was at Providence College, and she was given an assignment by her professor and said, be creative. I want you to write or paint or or sculpt or draw something about a, a characteristic of God, similar to what we're talking to here this morning. And so my sister, in all her infinite cleverness, drew a picture of a ninja. Right? She drew a ninja. And so her professor came back and said, you might, Aubrey, you're going to have to clarify for me. I asked you to draw something about God, and you drew a ninja. Can you connect the dots for me? She said, sure. God is like a ninja. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. Right? Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. God is spirit, but that does not make him any less real. Another analogy that you may hopefully find helpful is, uh, is that of the wind or breath. In fact, sorry, I'm really, is it the beard again, Davis? Oh, no. I can't, you don't want to give my wife any other reasons for me to shave the beard here. <laughs> sorry. One of the, 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 whether you're reading through the Hebrew in the Old Testament or the, the Greek in the New Testament, the word for spirit is wind or breath. And, and, and we see that. We see it because we, we, we don't see the wind or breath, but we see the effects of it. So if you look at a pinwheel, just turn me down. Just turn me down. Is it the battery? No. Okay. Am I on? All right. Going well. So the idea is you can't see the, see the effects of the wind. So for example... So you can't see my breath. Uh, The first couple rows may have smelt my breath. I don't know. You can let me know after. Uh, But the idea is we cannot see it, but we can see the effect of it. And in the same way, if you're looking for something that says, okay, God is spirit, prove it to me. Show me something real. I will tell you this, that God, even though he is spirit and not physical, is real because he transforms lives. And I have talked to so many of each and every one of you, knowing that the story of your life is one of transformation, of new creation. It is a testimony to the reality of God who is spirit. And he has taken what is dead and has made it new and alive again. That is a real living God. But another misconception we can slide into if we're not careful is we say God is spirit and it makes him kind of mysterious like a cloud or just an unseen force. But that's not true of who God is as revealed in scripture. We understand him not only to be a spiritual being but to be one who is very, very personal. God is not only real but he desires that personal relationship with you and with me. So God is someone who desires community and interaction, and he has a personality, he has a nature that we're learning about here this morning. So as spirit, one of the things that God can do is he can be present everywhere. So this actually was a question that my five-year-old asked me. He says, why can't I see God? Why can't I feel God? And I said to him, you want to know how I answered my (laughs) five-year-old? Probably the same way I would answer any of us. I'm saying, well, 
Well, God is spirit. And what does that mean? Because that might be a little unsatisfying. I was saying, well, you, you Eli, you have these arms, and, 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 and I can touch and I can see you, but is that all of you? Like, are, are you kind of, the only thing that makes you you, is it just your muscles and your bones and your brain? Is that the only thing that makes you Eli? And he goes, well, no. <laughs> so there's more to you, isn't there? He says, yes. And he said, that's spirit. That's a reflection. That's your soul. That's a reflection of being created in the image of God. That is the level and the reality of where God abides. And he desires to have that relationship with us. But sometimes, instead of getting discouraged of God not showing himself or, or, or being here physically, we need to real, realize that it's actually important and necessary for God to be spirit. I mean it this way. God wants a relationship with me and with you and you and you and you and you and you. And that is only possible if God can be with us all at the same time. And it's not limited to this room or this city or province or country or world or even time and history. For God to be present with all of us and to abide within all of us, he needs to be spirit. This is not something that's lacking from God's character. It is perfect and it is intentional. And his being spirit is what makes it possible for him to be with us all individually in every moment. It opens up a personal, living, loving relationship with him. Well, if you felt like I might have lost you between now and then, just wait, because we're going to talk about the Trinity. How many of you have the Trinity all figured out? Got, got any, anybody, anybody confused by the Trinity at all? Any confused people? It's okay, I'm going to raise my hand. I'll, I'll, I'll be okay with that. Now, if you were listening to the, some of the things we sang this morning, we sung the truth about God three in one in at least two different songs. And, it, and it's an important thing to understand because when we look at Scripture, there is no place in what it says God is three in one, right? We have God is spirit or God is uh, eternal. We have things that are very uh, explicit right in front of us. But when it comes to the Trinity, it doesn't come from just one passage, it comes from a lot of faithful Christ followers and, and priests and theologians and pastors pouring over the scriptures and saying that the only way to account for who God is as revealed by the totality of his word is the Trinity. God is three in one. That is how we explain God in the best way possible. The passage that I've chosen for that is actually uh, from the Gospel of Luke chapter 3. And in verses 21 and 22, we have a story and it's the story of Jesus' baptism. And in that story, we have all three persons of the Trinity appearing at the same time. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So again, this is just a snapshot, one of those many scriptures in which we see, okay, here we have God the Father blessing his Son, Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. We have three persons, one God, the blessed Trinity. But does that make sense to us, right? This is a very difficult thing to grasp. When I had a conversation out in the cafe a number of years ago, and it went something like this, I'm just paraphrasing, but... The conversation was, like, like, the Trinity is a really important doctrine or belief in the Christian church. In fact, it's what we call it orthodox or dogma. It isn't up for debate. The church has decided this is who God has revealed himself to be. 
And so the conversation was like, if, if, if it's that important, how come I have never heard it talked about on a sermon on Sunday morning? Which I say is a valid point. I can tell you the answer to that. It's hard. I don't want to preach on the Trinity. How am I going to talk about God being three in one in just the small part that we have and time we have together today? But it is important to understand God appropriately. So if we're going to understand the Trinity in the best way possible, we need to hold each side of the spectrum firmly and in balance. And on one side, we need to hold true to the claim that God is one. The very first part of the Jewish Shema, one of their prayers, was the earliest declaration of this, where we see it come from Deuteronomy 6.4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And this is who Yahweh is. This is the spiritual heritage that we have uh, inherited from uh, the Jewish religion. We know this to be true. God is one. All of us here at New Life Church are staunch monotheists. We believe in one God and one God only. But I feel like if we don't have a, a good grasp of what it means, the Trinity, then we tend to actually go too far the other direction, and we tend to chop God up into three separate gods. We never claim that out loud, but in our minds, sometimes we treat him that way in order to make sense of it. Well, that's God, the Father, and over here is the Son, and there's the Spirit. But when we do that, we tend to lose the oneness of God, the unity of him, and, 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 and we stray that direction. Then we have this idea where we do no, no longer have an accurate understanding of who God is because he is one. He is completely unified. Yet, we also need to hold equally to the other end of the spectrum, and that is God is three. We believe that there is diversity within the unity of God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this is a doctrine that came from the very earliest Christians who had grown up praying that the Lord is one. Yet they also encountered Jesus, who they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt was also the very Son of God. He was divine. And then shortly after Jesus ascended to heaven, they experienced the Holy Spirit coming in power, in, in tongues of flame and fire. And they understood that they had experienced God in yet again another distinct way, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so they began to explain the Trinity as a way of trying to make sense of that diversity of God within the oneness of God. And each of the three persons of the Trinity has a distinct role to play in the mission of salvation. The Father God then is the ground of creation of the world. The Son, Jesus, was sent to be the redeemer of humankind. And the Spirit then was sent as the completer of God's work and his active power in the world, each with a distinct role to play. And yet, each member of the Trinity is dependent on the others to accomplish the full task of the mission of God. So if we are, are going to hold true to the fact that God is one and yet God is three, we need to remember that each uh, member of the Trinity is distinct but completely inseparable. Distinct yet completely inseparable. And sometimes this is where we turn to analogies to help make that truth a little more accessible. Uh, how many of you have heard of the analogy for the Trinity using an egg? You've heard of the egg. That's an okay analogy. None of these are perfect. They'll all fall apart at some point, but the egg falls apart a little bit sooner. Let me explain. Here we have how many eggs? One. But there are three parts to this egg. There's a shell, there's an egg white, and then there's a yolk. 
Uh, and, and, and so that makes sense. It's a pretty good analogy until you're starting to make really fluffy waffles. Mm, mm, fluffy waffles. And, and if I want to make them, you know, fluffy, what do I do? I separate the egg whites. Oh, glory. I don't do this very often, by the way. There it is. It works better than first service. Good job. Okay, so there we go. So now all of a sudden, is this an accurate understanding of the Trinity anymore? Well, no, because I have separated one of the three parts. God is three in one. Diversity within unity. As soon as you separate one from the other, it no longer becomes an accurate understanding of God. So I've heard a more helpful analogy, and I would like to pass it on to you. Maybe you'll find it helpful as well. In my theology class, I heard it said this way, that God is like the Son. Not the Son, Jesus, as, as, the, as that person of the Trinity, but like the sun in the sky, the star that gives us light and heat, that sun. God is like the sun. We can uh, measure the sun in three distinct ways. First of all, we can measure its diameter. We know how big that physical star is. The sun is, is this big. Secondly, we can measure the wavelength of the light that it gives off. Oh, it's giving off light, and we can measure the wavelength of that light. And thirdly, we do this a lot at this time of year, we measure how much heat the sun is giving off at the same time. Each and every degree means so much to us in spring, right? So we have the sun and the light and the heat, and we can measure them distinctly, yet you cannot separate any one of those things from the other two. If you remove the sun, the physical star, out of the equation, you have no more light and heat. And you cannot have light without giving off heat and vice versa. They're related. They are, as far as I understand, inseparable from one another. Distinct yet unified. Three in one. That is the nature of the God whom we worship and how he has chosen to reveal himself in Scripture. Hopefully, that seems a little more uh, uh, easy to grasp now than when we started our discussion. Well, why does that matter? Why is it important to have a good, accurate understanding of God three in one? And I think it ties directly into our last point, which is that God is love. God is love. And we see this explained by the Apostle John in a passage we are most likely very familiar with. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. But the beauty of understanding the Trinity is we get to dig down a little bit deeper because sometimes if you read that verse, God is love, we might think of it as just an emotion. God just shares love or feels love or shows love. But when we understand who God is, we know that love is part of his very being. One of my favorite theologians is Stan Grenz, who was a good Baptist theologian, and he writes this. God is love refers, first of all, to the intra-Trinitarian relationship within the eternal God. That's a big word. It just means the relationship within the Trinity. God is love within himself. The Father loves the Son. The Son reciprocates that love. And this love between the Father and the Son is the Holy Spirit. In short, through all eternity, God is the social trinity, the community of love. God is love within himself. He is community within himself. He is a social being within himself. And all of that becomes true when we have a proper and accurate understanding of the trinity, God 
He is relational. Love is part of his very being. And the good news of Scripture is that God did not desire to keep this love within himself, but he desired to extend that same love that's at the core of who he is with you and with me and with all those who he created in his image. We have been created to be in relationship with God himself. And we get a really, really neat glimpse of this relationship between Trinity and our relationship with God in John 17, verse 20 and 21. This is called the high priestly prayer, prayed by Jesus to God the Father shortly before his death and resurrection. And he prays this for all of those who will believe. John 17, starting in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, meaning his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the very bond of love, that perfect, unshakable love between Father and Son, that is the same love that I want to extend all those who believe in me. Not a shadow of this love, not a a dirty image or a reproduction of that love, but that same love that is within God himself has been shared with us through the good work of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to say that God is love. That is why it's important to understand who God is, three in one. Experiencing the love of God is possible all because of who Jesus is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, we have learned here this morning that the eternal God knows all things and comforts his people, both now and forever in the future. The invisible God of spirit is in all places and abides in your heart and soul for all those who trust in Jesus. The Trinity displays the loving relationship of a God and community who then shares this love freely with all those who believe. So do you believe? For I am convinced that there is no greater gift than to be able to freely receive the love from the Almighty God himself. I'd like to leave you with a weekly challenge. Uh, something that you can either uh, do here in your seat at the end of our time or take home with you. And first of all, I'd like you just to look back on this sermon and write one new thing that you learned about God today. Just one thing. I know we were kind of drinking from a fire hose, as it were, but just if there was one thing that stood out to you about who God is, write that thing down. And secondly, then, is, as you prayerfully consider this new thing, I want you to, to think on how that new knowledge of God will affect your relationship with him. How will you be closer to God now that you know a little bit more about him? How will this new knowledge of God deepen your love and relationship for a God who loved you enough to die for you? Because church, I truly believe it's not enough just to think the right things or believe the right things or say the right things. It has to move into that area of relationship. It must impact the way that we love God and experience him. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for the fact that you desire to be known. I thank you for the good work that it is to think on you and to understand you more and to grow in our appreciation and our love for you. I thank you that while we will never plumb to the depths of all of who you are, that we will get to know you more and more and more. And God, I pray that it just increase our love for you each and every day. 
And beyond all that, God, I thank you so much that you took the initiative to be known, that you took the initiative to be in relationship, and that you decided to share your perfect love with us. We pray this in your name. Amen.